بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله ربنا والصلاة والسلام على نبينا اللهم أنا نسألك مجيبات رحمتك وعزاء مغفرتك والغنيمة من كل بر والسلامة من كل إثم والفوز بالجنة والنجاة من النار Thank you all for uh, taking the time out to attend today inshallah which is this is nothing more than a test drive for uh, a project that I have in mind and the idea is I would share sort of what the first session would be like, and then you can provide uh, any feedback, any uh, uh, suggestions, tips, advice, and uh, all of that is more than welcome, inshallah. So today, we're embarking on a journey, on a voyage. Uh, and this one will be to explore Ibn al-Qayyim's world. All of you are familiar with Ibn al-Qayyim al-Jawziyah. His name is on the tips of pretty much every, every Salafi, at least, in this day and age. And that's something that's not always been the case, by the way. And this is something we'll come across soon, inshallah. Uh, in this voyage, we have 34 stops. Uh, and it should take us a year, ta'ala. And along this journey, I'm yani, uh, hoping to be your travel guide. So to begin with, uh, we'll have some sort of biographical sketch to know who Ibn al-Qayyim is. Uh, and uh, some details on his life and so on. So Ibn al-Qayyim's proper name is Muhammad. And his father's name is uh, Abu Bakr. He was from Damascus, where he uh, lived and where he died, and where he spent uh, almost the entirety of his life, barring a few short periods. Uh, he belonged to the Hanbali uh, legal theological school, and he lived between the uh, 1292 is when he was born, and he died in 1350. Uh, so this corresponds to 691 until 751 of the Hijri era. So he, uh, he lived some 60 or so years, uh, but they were very productive years, especially the latter part of his life. So when we're talking about 36, 37 onwards, just after the death of his main teacher in his life, Ibn Taymiyyah, rahmatullah. Uh, where does his name, we said his name is Muhammad, his father's name is Abu Bakr. So he's Muhammad bin Abi Bakr. So where does Ibn al-Qayyim come from? This idea that Ibn al-Qayyim al-Jawziyah or Ibn al-Qayyim. To say Ibn, uh, Ibn uh, al-Qayyim al-Jawziyah, I think that's a mistake. But it's not a big deal. But it's Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyah or Ibn al-Qayyim if you want to shorten it. His father, Abu Bakr, used to be the principal or the manager, the Qayyim, in other words. Qayyim, if you think of Al-Qa'im, Al-Qayyim, Qa'im al-Umur, he is the person who was responsible for the uh, management of the Jawziyah school in Damascus. Uh, the Jawziyah school, if you can tell from the name, stems from Abdurrahman ibn al-Jawzi, who established it in the, 15th, in the 5th century, rather. And uh, he established this, he awqafha, he established it as a, as a waqf for the teaching of Islamic sciences. And actually, interestingly, this school continued to exist in various capacities until very recently. I don't know what the condition of it now is. I have no idea. But what we do know is that Ibn al-Qayyim uh, attended it when it was a religious school. It continued to be a religious school for some centuries. Afterwards, it became a court as Abdurrahman, Abdul, um, uh, sorry, Ibn Badran al-Dimashqi discusses, he says it was a court uh, and then it became a children's school. And then we know that in 1925, when the Syrian, there was a the, the sort of just after 
the First World War and when the French were still there, it was it underwent some damage. Uh, but the, the point is it remained as a, as a school for a number of centuries and then it continued to exist in some other capacity. In any case, what matters here is that our friend Muhammad bin Abi Bakr, Ibn al-Qayyim, was uh, the son of the principal of this school. And Ibn al-Qayyim attended uh, this school. This is where he did his initial studies. And uh, I mean, sometimes some biographers try and make up that this was a very special position to have the son of the administrator. The reality is it was more like a caretaker position. So Ibn al-Qayyim did not come from that sort of social background that was very uh, uh, privileged in any way. Uh, on this point, I'd like to point something out very important, however, which is that we don't know much about Ibn al-Qayyim. We actually do not have that much by way of biographical details. And this is interesting. Now, we can say, we can ask, why is that? And one of the things we always need to do as learners, as researchers, is to create lines of inquiry. Why don't we know so much about Ibn al-Qayyim, given that the impression that some of us have is that this is Sheikh al-Islam al-Thani. Well, if he was Sheikh al-Islam al-Thani, surely we would know something more about him than the very scant details that we know about him. Uh, Ibn Kathir, for instance, one of his students, he put his entire biography of Ibn al-Qayyim um, boils down to one or so pages. That's it. That's the extent of information we have about Ibn al-Qayyim's life. In any case, let me get something out of the way now, which is that in terms of Arabic references, of course, the stuff that I'm saying to you today, I've relied on English sources and Arabic sources. The best thing that exists at the moment is Bakr Awzaid's book, uh, Ibn al-Qayyim Hayatuhu wa Atharuhu wa Mawaridu. This book is available online. You can download it. Uh, even easier than his, uh, than Bakr Awzaid's book, is uh, uh, Salih al-Shami's book, uh, Ibn al-Imam Ibn al-Qayyim, Ibn, Ibn al-Qayyim al-Jawziyya, al-Da'i al-Muslih, wal-Alim al-Mawsu'i. These two are sort of more comprehensive. Very recently, uh, in the last few weeks, literally, a new book has come out, uh, actually called Al-Jami' al-Sirat al-Imam Ibn al-Qayyim khilal Sittat Qurun. Um, this is edited by Ali al-Imran, and Ali al-Imran uh, was one of Bakr Abu Zayd's students. Ali al-Imran, uh, brilliant. I mean, uh, uh, I recommend everything this guy writes, basically. Uh, he was the supervisor, or he has been the supervisor of a number of projects, one of which has been producing edited editions of all of Ibn al-Qayyim's uh, uh, writings. And others, of course, Abdurrahman al-Mu'allimi, Ibn Taymiyyah, uh, Shanqiti, and so on. But uh, this book has literally just come out. I haven't had the chance to look at it. Um, but what I understand is, given that they've done the same thing with Ibn Taymiyyah, this book is nothing, it's basically an anthology. An anthology of everything that was written about Ibn al-Qayyim during the six, these six centuries. So you'll have, I imagine, Al-Maqrizi, Al-Sakhawi, Ibn Hajar, Ibn Kathir, Al-Safadi, these kind of people. So it's a compilation. In any case, uh, the, if you, these are the Arabic sources. If you want something short and snappy, I would recommend reading Abu al-Hassan al-Nadwi's uh, uh, chapter on Ibn Taymiyyah, on Ibn Taymiyyah in Rijal al-Fikr al-Dawah under the section of Ibn Taymiyyah students. He has a, a few wonderful, beautiful, short and snappy pages on uh, Ibn al-Qayyim. Now that's the Arabic sources. In the English sources, 
um, look, I'll tell you something now, and I'll be very honest with you. The Wikipedia entry is great. The Wikipedia entry is actually very good. If you want something better, and one of the best things I think that exists is Livnat Hoffman, uh, Livnat Holtzman's article, Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyyah. That's all it's called. And it's available on Academia. It's available online. You can Google it. And it was published in 2009. This is a brilliant account. Absolutely brilliant. Why? Because this researcher, this lady, incorporates the Arabic, existing Arabic research, but she also sheds light on the stuff that exists in English, uh, uh, scholarship that, that exists on Ibn al-Qayyim in English. Um, there is another thing I came across, but I haven't had a chance to look at it properly. It's a translation of a book by Salah Abdul Mawjood, I think his name is. Um, it looks like a standard biography. In any case, these are the sources that I have drawn upon. Uh, and these are the sources that if you wish to explore these, uh, Ibn al-Qaim's life further in more detail, these are the sources that you should uh, uh, explore uh, or you should consult. Um, like I said, whatever we do, however... Ultimately, we don't know that much of a deal about Ibn uh, Al-Qayyim's life. In other words, his life was not that eventful, unlike his teacher. Ibn Taymiyyah's life was extremely eventful um, by comparison. And I think this is why we see that Ibn Al-Qayyim, we speak of Ibn Al-Qayyim as having been overshadowed, having been in the background of Ibn Taymiyyah. And it's, I don't know if I can say this, but it's almost like when, when Allah talks about Isa in the Quran, he always comes, he's always, almost in every case, barring one, Isa ibn Maryam, okay? Isa, son of Mary. Here, when you talk about Ibn Taymiyyah, or when you, when you talk about Ibn Al-Qayyim, you to almost inevitably have to talk about this teacher. In any case, uh, what we have to shed a bit of light about Ibn Taymiyyah's relationship with Ibn Al-Qayyim. What we can say is that Ibn Al-Qayyim, we can probably, we can probably say he heard of Ibn Taymiyyah when he was around 12. And that was because Ibn Taymiyyah was then rallying Muslims, soldiers and statements, soldiers and leaders, to the defense of Damascus uh, from Mongol invasion. This was in 1303 or so, and Ibn Al-Qayyim would have then been around 12 years old. So straight away, and this was, and the Muslims succeeded in this battle. So immediately, in Ibn al-Qayyim's mind, we have this hero, this, this, this man called Ibn Taymiyyah, and he is a hero. He was a scholar who uh, rallied the Muslims to the defense of Damascus at a very sensitive, and this battle was pivotal in changing the fortunes of the Mongols. Uh, so Ibn al-Qayyim, 12 years old, he continues his studies and his pursuit of knowledge at the uh, Jawziyah school, uh, and he doesn't get to meet Ibn Taymiyyah because Ibn Taymiyyah ends up going to Egypt, he ends up going to prison. Um, and it wasn't until a few years later when uh, Ibn al-Qayyim is 21 or so, 21, 22, that he meets Ibn Taymiyyah properly for the first time. And when Ibn al-Qayyim sees Ibn Taymiyyah, he is absolutely enthralled. He is mesmerized by this man. And for the remainder of his life, as in for the remainder of Ibn Taymiyyah's life, Ibn, Ibn al-Qayyim is basically um, his, his right-hand man. He is sticking with him uh, throughout the next 16 years. He even ends up going to prison with him. And uh, Ibn al-Qayyim uh, only gets released from prison a month after Ibn Taymiyyah passes away. So I want you to imagine now we have a person who has some kind of Shari background. He is not a complete novice. He has come. And uh, he sees 
this man called Ibn Taymiyyah, he falls, he, 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 he is mesmerized by him, he's enthralled, he's in awe of this person, and he sticks by him for the next 16 years. There are a few important points on this in particular that I will illustrate, that I will sort of highlight in a minute, inshallah. Let's talk about briefly about his character. I hope I'm not going too quick, by the way. So Ibn al-Qayyim quite clearly, and by all accounts, all the biographical accounts that we have of Ibn al-Qayyim tell us that this man is a worshiper of Allah. He's a devout, pious man. He is a devout, pious man. Ibn Kathir tells us, look, I don't know anyone on this earth more knowledgeable, nor more pious than this man, Ibn Qayyim. Ibn, Ibn Kathir was one of his students. Uh, Ibn Rajab says, and I will read this passage to you, I'll read the translation. Uh, he says something beautiful. He says, uh, he was a very pious man who spent his, night, who spent his nights in prayer. He used to prolong his prayer to the maximal possible extent. He spoke and remembered Allah constantly. He was burning with the love of Allah, constantly turning in repentance and asking his forgiveness. He threw himself in front of, in front of Allah uh, in complete submission to him. Never have I seen anyone who behaved like him in these matters. Ibn Rajab, of course, says this, and I want to point this out that if no doubt, I have no doubt personally, that Ibn Rajab uh, says this and he was 14. Ibn Rajab says this, what he says, and Ibn Rajab was 14 years old. And I have no doubt that this shaped uh, Ibn Rajab's sort of life, uh, the trajectory of his life, his interests, and also the way Ibn Rajab manages to blend the spiritual sides with the more technical and abstract and theoretical issues. Uh, you know, why do we say this though? Why do we mention these things about Ibn, Ibn al-Qayyim and his character and his piety? And I think the reason is, I, th I would say there are two main reasons. First of all, it's for us to know that this man embodied his words. When you read Ibn al-Qayyim talking about dhikr, when you read him talking about salah, when you read him talking about husn al-dhan billah, when you read him talking about uh, any of these spiritual aspects, you know that this guy uh, walks the walk. He, he doesn't just, he's not a wordsmith. He lives by these words. He knows when he's speaking, he, it's coming from his heart and from his experience. Uh, this is the first thing. So this guy, this guy exemplified, he embodied his words and his teachings. The second reason is, of course, uh, for, for, for it to be an example for us for it to be an example for us so that we can say that this is somebody we should also follow in his footsteps. This is a man who combined, who managed to merge between knowledge uh, at the most sophisticated levels and also piety at the highest levels. And one thing Abu Hassan al Nadwi says actually, I will mention it here. He said, look, Ibn al-Qayyim was a reformer. He was a Muslim, okay? He, he tried to reform the, his society and the uh, condition of the people he was surrounded by. And he says, and Abu Hassan Nadwi, this, who died 20 years ago, Abu Hassan Ali Nadwi, alayhi rahmatullah, one of his occupations and interests was that was reforming people, was islah, reforming society, you know, uh, elevating the state of, of any society in any community. And one of the things Abu Hassan Nadwi says, he says, look, he says, look, I have studied the lives of dozens of reformers. And he says, and one constant feature of every single one of these people is that they were people of night vigils. They were people who prayed at night. They were people who 
got up for Tahajjud and got up for Qiyam al-Layl. I think this is an important lesson for us all. That if we're trying to you know, improve the lot of humanity, that we need to have that sort of relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah enables us and employs us to, to his service, to do the work that he wants us to do. And that's an honor. And uh, I think this is, you know, this is sort of the point that we're trying to indicate here, that Ibn al-Qayyim here lived these words, but he's also an example for us all. And you know one thing, Ibn al-Qayyim, if he's good at one thing, he's good at giving you a heart detox. He's giving you, he's, if you want, like, you know, you have these diets, this, this guy will do a diet for your heart. He'll cleanse your heart and he'll give it back to you new. And you say, look, this, this is, this is, this is uh, your new heart. Another thing I will say about Ibn al-Qayyim in terms of his character, one of the things that gets noted about him a lot is that he was a bibliophile. You know, actually, let me get back to this point about twice. You know, at the end of the day, my dear brothers, when we read and when we learn, learn all this knowledge and when we do all of this, what is the, what is the point of it? If it doesn't translate into our actions, if it doesn't translate into our conduct, if it doesn't mean anything, if it's not transformative, then what's the point? Well, there's no point. The point ultimately of all of this is action. You know, uh, that the, the consequence of all this knowledge is that we draw closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not that we accumulate it, because when we just accumulate it, we're just getting fat, man. You know, we're just, we're just um, overloading and establishing more of Allah's hujja upon us. That's really, that's all that's happening. Uh, in any case, one uh, further uh, quality that gets mentioned, one further uh, characteristic that gets mentioned of this is that Ibn al-Qayyim was a bibliophile. He loved, absolutely loved to collect books and to read books and so on. His life was occupied with, uh, with uh, book collecting. And by, we have many accounts that tell us that Ibn al-Qayyim had books on everything. He had books on everything in all genres. <laughs> and sometimes you would have multiple copies of the same book. And I want you to think about it, because hold on a second, multiple copies of the same book. Now, we're not talking about 2020, where you might go to a bookshop or a book fair and think, oh, I'm not sure if I've bought that book before, let me buy a copy. We're talking here about 700 years ago, when books were, you know, uh, handwritten, and they were not easy to obtain. And yet we have... Ibn al-Qayyim said that he had multiple copies sometimes of the same book. And his children, once he had passed away, he had two sons, uh, some of whom were occupied with sort of Islamic sciences. After he passed away, they spent an extended period just selling, selling away those books of his, uh, which tells you this, the, the, the sort of how large his library had, um, how big his library was. And of course, this is important because sometimes one of the things that you'll notice with Ibn Qayyim is that he, uh, his, his ability to uh, recall different sources and so on is quite uh, remarkable. And this access to books allows him, uh, broadens his horizons. He allows him to see things that other people who are a bit encumbered, who are a bit sort of um, uh, shielded off and do not open their eyes to see what do others have like they must have some share of the truth let me see what share of the truth they have so i can benefit from it ibn al-qayyim uh, allows he, he he engages with ideas widely when as-safadi says that this is a man who has books on everything every genre this is something else that we uh that is noteworthy and anyway one further thing i will mention is that uh uh, the only noteworthy event in his life, Ibn al-Qayyim, perhaps, is that he went uh, to prison for supporting his teacher's views. 
um, and it was for um, some people say two years or so. And he died in Damascus, as I mentioned. He was born there and he died there. And and his funeral was supposedly an eventful one. Now, in terms of his pursuit of knowledge, I think I want I ought to point something out here, which is that we don't have uh, any uh, evidence of Ibn al-Qayyim engaging in any sort of long journeys in the pursuit of knowledge. Uh, he was pretty much a, a Damascene. He was born there. He lived there for pretty much all his life. There were short stays of his that in Egypt, and he went to Hajj and Umrah and on a couple of occasions. And there is reports, there are some reports that he spent time in uh, Quds, Jerusalem. But we don't have him going on these long journeys in the pursuit of knowledge. And I think this is for two reasons. Uh, and there's a lesson in this. The two reasons are, first of all, Damascus was itself a center of knowledge at the time. If you're in a center of knowledge, look, people come to you, you don't go to them. You know, people are coming to Damascus to seek knowledge. You don't have to go anywhere. It's just here, it's in your locality. The other thing, of course, is that Ibn, Ibn al-Qayyim was, as I mentioned earlier, he was absolutely taken back by Ibn Taymiyyah. And so if he was taken back by Ibn Taymiyyah, he stuck by Ibn Taymiyyah for 16 years. By the time from 21, 22 to say 36, 37, he had gone from, you can say a novice, a, 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 uh, subhanAllah, novice to uh, someone who uh, had been much more mature and developed intellectually and so on. And it was only after this age, 36, 37, that he began publishing his works. Now, is that because he was, uh, you know, uh, still under the, uh, the, he was captivated by Ibn Taymiyyah? Possibly, possibly. Um, uh, the, so the, and the lesson, I, the, the point I wanted to, to make here regarding this here is that uh, at the end of the day, the journey, this rihla in Talib al-Ilm, it's, it's fashionable in many ways, but actually it's a means to an end. And one of the things I've done over years is every time I come across a biography of a scholar, especially a scholar of great stature, who did not go on a journey in seeking, I would write his name. The point here being is that at the end of the day, this journey, this idea of, oh, I travel to the sake of seeking the knowledge. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a means and not an end in itself. It's a means to allow you, to enable you to access scholars, to see people of knowledge and so on. This idea of traveling for the sake of hadith, this was a fashion in the third century, fourth century, fifth century, I understand. But for people to do it today, I mean, is a bit, strikes me as a bit strange. In any case, so you have a right to ask, why bother with Ibn al-Qayyim? Why bother with Ibn al-Qayyim? Why was he, if he's nothing more than a carbon copy of Ibn Taymiyyah, was he nothing more or anything more than a carbon copy of the original with the capital O, Ibn Taymiyyah, alayhi rahmatullah? And I think the first thing we ought to mention here is actually there's no shame. I mean, if, if, if Ibn al-Qayyim was indeed a copy of Ibn Taymiyyah, I mean, there's no shame in that. I mean, we would be more than happy to have several copies of Ibn Taymiyyah roaming around. But, uh, and some people mention this, like Ibn Hajar says that, you know, this guy was basically, uh, he says, Kan la an min Ibn al-Qayyim would never, ever, uh, go out of, uh, you know, uh, uh, would never sort of go beyond Ibn Taymiyyah's opinions. Um, and some scholars uh, have single-handedly sort of addressed this point. I mentioned earlier Bakr Abu Zayd's biography of Ibn, uh, Ibn al-Qayyim. Uh, and he attempts to answer this question by uh, indicating, by first of all telling us uh, that, uh, first of all, Ibn al-Qayyim addressed many issues that Ibn Taymiyyah did not talk about. 
Um, so he says, look, Ibn al-Qayyim talks about Sirah in a very elaborate fashion. We don't really know that about Ibn Taymiyyah. He tells us Ibn al-Qayyim writes about paradise, writes about love, writes about all these topics that Ibn Taymiyyah didn't really address in the way that, or didn't address at all, in fact. Now that's interesting and useful, of course, but it's far from conclusive because, of course, it's easy to say, well, you know what, as some people have sort of suggested, that, you know what, at the end of the day, Ibn al-Qayyim gleaned all of this from Ibn Taymiyyah. He heard all of this from Ibn Taymiyyah, and he basically wrote it later on, or he sort of expanded on it. This is a possibility. What would be conclusive, however, is if we have any, any cases where Ibn Qayyim develops independent views, or where Ibn al-Qayyim goes against the views, opposes the views of his teacher. And what Bakr Abuzayd does manage to do in his book is, in, is, is point out to a few examples of that. So that's really useful. But with that said, what we can say is that, look, after 16 years of, in, of his company, there is no doubt, in my mind at least, that Ibn al-Qayyim had basically absorbed, absorbed his teacher's method. Uh, so when he is developing views that oppose Ibn Taymiyyah, his teacher, he is doing those utilizing, employing Ibn Taymiyyah's method. Now you have a right to ask, what is Ibn Taymiyyah's method? That's a subject for another day. And I know here we have, I mean, this is a test session, but I know we have here uh, my dear friend and, um, and, uh, and teacher, Sheikh Yasser Matrafi, and he has a, may, and a brilliant book that I recommend all of you read called Harakat al-Tasih. Al-Fiqhi, and in that he sort of discusses Ibn Taymiyyah's methodology and how he went about uh, deriving his opinions and, and all the rest of it. So anyway, so we do know for a fact that Ibn al-Qayyim opposed his teacher, Ibn Taymiyyah, on a number of occasions, very, very few occasions. We also, as I said, Ibn al-Qayyim writes nothing pretty much until Ibn Taymiyyah, his teacher, dies, and that was when he was 36, 37 or so. And we mentioned the fact that he didn't travel for the pursuit of knowledge. We have five minutes. Beautiful. Tayyib. Uh, so we have even what we do have, and I mentioned Ali Imran's tahqiqat of these uh, or, or this or the project that he is super he has supervised and it's reached and it's completed by the way. We have in circulation 34 books of Ibn al-Qayyim, 34 in all. Some are very short uh, uh, letters. In fact, many of them are letters, Al-Jawab al-Kafi, Al-Jawab al-Sayyib, Risalat al All of these are just short letters. And of course, others are very long works, such as Bada'i al-Fawa'id or, uh, or I'lam al-Waqi'in or Zad al-Ma'ad. Ibn al-Qayyim's books, write, he writes on a whole string of genres, okay? And this is what makes him at least interesting, and I think why he may be a suitable candidate for a project like this. Uh, when he writes on a lot of genres, it allows us to dabble with a lot of ideas, okay? So Ibn al-Qayyim writes about usul al-fiqh, he writes about sirah, he writes about comparative theology, comparative religion, he writes about fiqh, he writes about, as I said, love and paradise and all sorts of things. He gives you, he writes about medicine, all sorts of interesting subjects, okay? He talks about all sorts of things, morals and ethics and so on. Um, and one of the differences I should point out here, perhaps, because we were talking, we, we keep, every time we mention Ibn al-Qayyim, we sort of always have to end up talking about Ibn Taymiyyah. One of the differences between Ibn al-Qayyim and Ibn Taymiyyah is that Ibn Qayyim's readings, uh, Ibn Qayyim's writings rather, are sort of more focused and, if I dare say, more elegant. They're, they're, they're more elegant. Where Ibn Taymiyyah, 
sort of has a tendency to, di to digress. I often say, and I've, some of you may have heard me say this before, that Ibn Taymiyyah has a tendency to, to graze. Ibn Taymiyyah has a tendency to graze where Ibn al-Qayyim has a tendency to dig. So Ibn al-Qayyim, one of the styles he employs is if he, catch, if he get grip, grip, grips at any point of his that he wants it to convince you of, he will go at it from different angles and will give you point after point after point just to convince you of that issue until you feel like, okay, after 10 points, I'm convinced. Some people need a greater dosage, so they'll need 25 points and so on. Whereas Ibn, 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 Ibn Taymiyyah, pardon me, you get the impression sometimes Ibn Taymiyyah is almost, almost uh, performing. He's almost showing off, if I may say that. It's like he's trying to say, look at me, look at what I'm capable of. Look who I'm going to cite. I'm going to quote people you've never even heard of. And I'm going to quote the books that you think you have, you've read and you actually haven't read. It's, it's, it's interesting. Ibn Qayyim is more focused. He gets a point and he, he, he keeps um, sort of banging at it. Uh, so that's one of the, th the things that makes Ibn al-Qayyim easier than Ibn Taymiyyah in many cases. Also, Ibn al-Qayyim is good preparation ground for Ibn Taymiyyah. Ibn Taymiyyah can be very sort of um, convoluted at times. You don't know where he's getting at. Whereas Ibn al-Qayyim, Ibn al-Qayyim is sort of a good um, uh, preparation ground for that. So instead of going straight away to say, I don't know, Al-Jawab uh, al-Sahih, Ibn Taymiyyah's book on Christianity, uh, on comparative religion, you should maybe perhaps read, uh, uh, what do you call it? Not Irathat al-Afan, Hidayat al-Hayra, okay, guiding the perplexed. Uh, why? Because it's a much easier, much shorter, and easier to access work. Um, but no doubt, there's no doubt that there's a lot of overlapping. No doubt that there's a lot in Ibn al-Qayyim's works that we don't actually read in Ibn Taymiyyah's works. So he'll say, Qala, you know, my sheikh told me, I once heard my sheikh say to me, I once heard the sheikh say. Ultimately, though, both Ibn Hajar and his student al-Sakhawi, Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani and al-Sakhawi, both of teacher and student, he says, you know, at the end of the day, Ibn al-Qayyim is nothing more than a hasana, one good deed of Ibn Taymiyyah's good deeds. And that if... if uh, if the only thing that Ibn Taymiyyah produced was Ibn al-Qayyim, that would be enough for him. And that tells you something both about the stature of Ibn al-Qayyim and the stature of his teacher Ibn Taymiyyah. Uh, khair, inshallah. We were just on the uh, uh, final uh, aspect of this biographical sketch that I was offering of Ibn, uh, Ibn al-Qayyim. And we mentioned, of course, that he'd written 34 books. One of the differences between or some of the differences between Ibn Taymiyyah's style and Ibn al-Qayyim's style, which are important to illustrate why it is, or one of the reasons that sort of uh, made me choose Ibn al-Qayyim for this one year with Ibn al-Qayyim project. Um, uh, so uh, in the course of things during this project, inshallah ta'ala, is I will point out to any uh, existing West scholarship on the books that we discussed. So there's stuff on Ibn Qayyim's Tuhfat uh, al-Mawlud, there's stuff on his I'lam al-Waqi'in, there's stuff on his Shifa al-Alil, there's stuff on his Al-Wabil al-Sayyib, not actually, not well there is a little bit on Al-Wabil al-Sayyib, which is the first book inshallah that we were covering. There's stuff on his um, aspects of Zad al-Ma'ad. Uh, all of these books have been the subject of some discussion among Western scholars. So whenever I come across something, of course, I will try and incorporate that in my discussion, but also just basically tell you guys, in the way I told you, look guys, in English, the best thing you can read is uh, the 
Livnat Holtzman article. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, and also any existing translations of these books. If anything we cover, if there are full translations, partial translations, I will uh, indicate. The editions that we'll be using, or editions that I'll be using, inshallah, is the Dar Alim Fawaid edition, the one that uh, Ali Al-Imran has supervised, uh, Sheikh Ali Al-Imran. And uh, this is all available online. So, okay, one second. This is all available online. So should any of you wish to read along, Bismillah, I mean, something I encourage. Um, I think actually something that does warrant mentioning at this point, inshallah, is that we actually live in very, very auspicious times, blessed times. And, and the reason I say that is that not long ago, I was re-reading uh, a series, a collection of letters that were exchanged between... Uh, Mahmoud al-Alusi and Jamal al-Din qasimi and Jamal al-Din qasimi has a special occupy he harbors he occupies a special place in my heart I don't know why but I love him and I loved him ever since I first read his books and then somebody told me he's from Ahl al-Bayt so I said maybe this is the reason in any case Jamal al-Din qasimi writes to Mahmoud al-Alusi and he tells him look man look I am so lucky I went to the library the other day here in Damascus one of these libraries manuscript collections he said and guess what I stumbled across a manuscript written by Ibn al-Qayyim and another manuscript written by Ibn al-Qayyim. And I took the time out to write it all out. And, uh, uh, and uh, I'm so, you know, uh, happy about this and so on. And then he writes a complaint in another letter saying, you know, those guys in Najd, man, they have access to all these manuscripts written by Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn al-Qayyim, but they're so lazy and they're so uh, um, not bothered about sort of sending them over and I've sent, told them, please send the manuscripts over so we can get on with the process of editing them. And you know, here we are in 2020 and just now, just recently, the Dar Alim Fawaid, Ali Al-Imran uh, completed, they've completed the project of editing all the extant uh, books, all of the extant manuscripts of Ibn Qayyim's books. Not just that, but um, we have these books digitized, they're on uh, Shamila, they're on PDFs, they're at, you can download them, they've been, you know, it's unbelievable. All of this is at our disposal. The only thing that's missing uh, is the irada. And the reason I mention that word irada is because irada is a theme that Ibn al-Qayyim touches on time and time and time again. And, you know, once upon a time I said to myself, if there was somebody who wanted to embark on writing a Salafi self-help book, a Salafi self-help book, uh, you know that self-help genre. Ibn al-Qayyim would have the lion's share. <laughs> but we, that's all that's lacking. You know, everything is there. It's at our disposal. Beautiful prints. No, these manuscripts that, you know, half the time you can't, you can barely read the words. They're all there and it's just downloadable, readable. And the only thing that's missing is the willingness, the irada to do so. And and Allah understand. In any case, so back to why Ibn al-Qayyim, in addition to the reasons that I've highlighted before, he, he's easier to access. He is, he is also doable, I feel, inshallah, uh, in a year. I feel that we can do this, 34 books. Um, and he's good preparatory ground for Ibn Taymiyyah in particular. Of course, Ibn Qayyim is extremely influential. His influence in this day and age only goes from strength to strength. And... Um, uh, he also, uh, you know, many great figures of the recent period uh, uh, mention Ibn al-Qayyim as being one of the major influences on their lives. In fact, I would go as far as to say that anyone who lived through this early Sahwa generation, so the 80s, 90s, Ibn al-Qayyim was instrumental in, uh, was a key part of their, of their tarbiyah. 
of the tarbiyah, I say. Not necessarily of the ilm, of the tarbiyah. And the difference between ilm and tarbiyah is that ilm comes here and tarbiyah touches the heart. Tarbiyah transforms you. And Ibn al-Qayyim, I recall, I'll share with you a story of mine. 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago now, the first, one of the first books I ever purchased in the Arabic language was Adda'wa Adda'wa, at a recommendation of a friend. I still have the copy, in fact, an Egyptian copy. I can't remember the publisher's name. But Ibn al-Qayyim uh, is fundamental for anyone who wants to acquaint themselves at least with the with 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 healthy salafia healthy salafia as opposed to awkward or weird salafia or as opposed to stupid salafia sometimes i call it uh, of course ibn, ibn qayyim one of the beauties of his is that he writes not just elegantly but also he dabbles with a lot of things some of the stuff he talks about is suited for a specialist audience it's very technical other things many things are suited for everyone and he's, like I said, a heart detox, you know. Um, 34 books, um, 50 weeks. Uh, the aim is to cover one book a week. Um, but there will be occasions when certainly with the larger works or some of the works that warrant more attention and more uh, depth discussion, um, they may take longer. This is, these are sort of the idea, and I'm just sharing it with you, and then you sort of give me your feedback and your, uh, your suggestions, inshallah. The idea would be to provide an overview of, the books and the first book I plan on starting with is, is Al-Wabd al-Sayyib which is available in translation as The Invocation of God a brilliant translation by the way and I do recommend reading I mean it's a beautiful tra translation to get hold of um, uh, overview of the book uh, any interesting passages discuss those passages uh, where the book fits in the scheme of things the, 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 port, the mosaic of knowledge as some people like to call it and how we can actually benefit um, part of this is a selfish exercise. It allows me to revisit these books, having once um, reread, having once read the vast majority of them. And it's also, of course, to encourage you. I mean, it'd be nice to say after one year that, you know what, we've managed to read, if not read, at least become familiar with all Ibn Al-Qayyim's uh, over, all his, all his writings, the copies of his writings. So that is, uh, my dear brothers, uh, the idea, this, this, this voyage, this journey that we hope to take. Um, Allah alam where it will lead us, um, but it hopefully to good places, inshallah. And they, you know, they say in, uh, in Africa, they say, if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go together. And that is, brings me to the end of it, inshallah. That's 50 minutes. Uh, with the interruptions. Uh, I don't know if you guys want to speak now. I'll we'll say 10 minutes if anyone wants to share anything um, now, and then uh, sort of uh, we can end We can end for the evening, inshallah. Barakallahu feekum. So if anyone wants to speak, ahlan wa sahlan, um, just uh, release the mic, or I, I don't know if I have to unmute you. Ask to unmute. Barakallahu feekum. <laughs>